Welcome to Power for Victorious Living. We believe the gospel and the kingdom of God have real answers for every area of your life. Get ready to discover the answers you need and the power that can change your life. Each show, you will receive practical, biblical insight as you hear a clear, creative, and encouraging message to help you understand how the gospel has the power to help you live a victorious life. And now, here's your host, Wes Harden. So, hey, let's go ahead and uh, jump into this. So the other day, I don't know about you, but the other day, man, the enemy, I woke up. I was still in bed. Hadn't even, <laughs> my feet haven't even hit the floor yet. But the other day, I was there uh, laying in bed. And I just woke up, and the enemy was coming at me. And he was just trying to bring all kinds of discouragement and uh, everything. And so I, uh, it was just like a barrage, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but he was on me like white on rice on a paper plate in a snowstorm. I mean, he was just, he was just coming at me. It was like dodgeball and I wasn't dodging any of them. And it was this, it was this battle of the mind. And so he was coming at me. He was, you know, bringing self doubt that I couldn't do anything, that I was a failure. He was making me, you know, try to feel uh, that I was unworthy, that I wasn't worthy of any of the blessings and the things that I've been believing God for actively here lately. And just bringing fear that somehow, you know, I would, I would fail or that these, these situations would come, uh, you know, or, or that things would happen, just bringing up false scenarios or he was, man, he was bringing shame, you know, shame from maybe failures in my past or things like that. And just trying to bring this barrage. Uh, I mean, he was, he was loaded double barrel, you know, shotgun. He come loaded for bear. He was bringing, he was bringing it. If so, you know, so to speak, he was bringing his best day game. And so, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't take those thoughts captive like I should have. And then I, I started to kind of listen to him and I let him stay there and I shouldn't have. And man, he was just bringing it. And then, so it was starting to discourage me. Have you ever, have you ever had that? Has he ever tried that with you? Well, if so, then you're in the right place. So here's the thing. Here's, here's what I want you to understand is that, um, this is one of his key tactics. And the reason is, is let's go to Luke chapter 10. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 19. And let's look at why this is one of his main strategies that he tries to use against us. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, I have given you, right? So he's, he's, he's talking to the disciples, but then he tells the disciples at the end of the gospels, he says, you, everything I've told you, you go tell them. So he, anything he told them, he, he told them to tell that to us, all right? So he told them that he has, he says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and, and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. So he told that to them and then he told them to tell us that same thing. So we have authority over all the power of the devil. So here's the thing. The reason why he tries to uh, intimidate us is because Satan has no authority over us as believers, so all he can do, all that he has left to do, the only card he has left to play is to try to intimidate us. And so this is what he was doing is he was bringing this barrage of, of just, you know, these, these, uh, these accusations and all these things. Revelation says he's the, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of us as believers. So the reason why he does this is he doesn't have any authority over us. So he tries to talk us out of who we really are. You see, you are a believer. If you're a believer, then you are, you are, you are, you are loved and you are everything that God has. You're a brand new creation, Scripture says. 
And so he, you've become something new and he tries to talk us out of who we really are because he has no authority though. He has to try to talk us out of who we really are. And so there, um, you know, that morning I was just being, I was really discouraged and just trying to fight this. And the Lord, he reminded me of a scene from the Lion King and he said, remember who you are. And, and so I had a little bit of time that morning. And so I sat there and I, I watched, I watched the movie Lion King. And so if you've, you've, it's the newest version that I'm talking about here, but if you've not seen it, then I'll kind of give you a recap. But so basically the Lion King, it's the story of a young lion named Simba. And so he's the future heir to succeed his father, Mufasa, as king of the Pride Lands. Okay. And so Simba, he's got this wicked uncle named Scar and he, he tries to, um, he wants to take over the throne. All right, and so Scar, he he can't stand Mufasa, he can't stand uh, Simba, and so he wants to take over the throne. So he comes up with this plan, and he lures both the father, Mufasa, and Simba, the son. He lures them into the into this canyon to be stampeded by a wildebeest. Okay, but uh, Simba escapes, and only Mufasa is killed that day. And so right after you know uh, Mufasa dies, Simba is there. And uh, Scar is telling him all these lies. He's telling him like, you know, it's your fault that your father died. Uh, you know, you don't belong here and you should, you just need to run away. This is all your fault. You're basically, you're a nobody. And he's manipulating him and, and telling him all these things. Right. And then he, he, he runs off and Scar tells him to leave. And then Scar sends the hyenas after him to go kill him. Simba escapes and then he grows up, right? He goes, he meets Timon and Pumbaa, uh, you know, the whole uh, Akuna Matata, you know, we have, we have that scene. He grows up and he matures and he grows and he's, he's living there with Timon and Pumbaa, uh, this carefree cast of lovable guys that, you know, they're just outcasts, but man, they, you know, they're just living it up. And so this is, this is the, this is where the scene that I mentioned that the Lord showed me in my spirit. And when he mentioned, remember who you are, this is where the scene that I mentioned picks up. So Nala, she was a childhood friend of Simba. And so she, she was still there in the pride lands. Everybody else thinks that, you know, Simba's dead and gone and all that stuff. So she's, she's grown up and she's matured as well. And she's living there and she leaves the pride lands. She actually sneaks away because, you know, the pride lands, they're under the evil rule of Scar. He's oppressing everybody. And so she, leaves to go find help because the prylads have just been decimated and they're not beautiful like they used to be because of the oppressive evil rule of scar so she leaves she sneaks and she goes to find help well come to find out she runs into simba all right she actually runs into him accidentally and so she runs into him you know and then there's this scene where, uh, you know, Nala, she's saying, oh, great. Well, I, I found you, Simba. Listen, you've got to come back and you've got to be king. You've got to save the pride lands. And he's like, oh, I'm a nobody. I I'm not a king. I, I can't go back. You wouldn't understand that. Well, then she presses the issue and she keeps pressing the issue. And he's he says, I'm a nobody. I, I can't go back. You, you don't know. You, you don't know. You don't know what I did. He said, you I can't go back. You, you wouldn't understand. And then he runs off. Instead of going in to be, you know, run to be the king that he's supposed to and stepping into that role, he's fearful because he's been believing these lies that were told to him as a cub. And so now he runs off and he runs away from, from Nala and he runs into this dense, dark forest. And it's dark, it's gloomy, 
and he goes into this forest and he's walking and he's just kind of regurgitating and mumbling all these things that she doesn't understand. And and he's, you know, I'm a nobody and all these things. Well, in this scene, the Lord spoke something very profoundly to me. And it's something that I, I feel like the Lord, he spoke to me and he also wants to speak to every believer right now that may be in this. He said, Simba was a king in hiding. Simba was a king in hiding because he didn't know who he was and he didn't believe who he was. You see, there's a lot of Christians right now, instead of stepping into what God's called them to do, maybe you, instead of stepping into what God's called you to do, do, maybe a dream or a, a new business venture or a new role or whatever it is that God's placed in your heart, Instead of stepping into that role, we retreat and we go to dark places, maybe our dark room or just just our, our mindset and, and who we think we are. We're in this dark place and we're, we're a king or a queen in hiding. We're royalty in hiding. And I want to say to you, if that's you, God is calling you out of the darkness. You're, you're not meant to be royalty in hiding. You are meant to be something so more extravagant and wonderful. And God has called you into this role to make an impact, to make a difference. But because of lies, maybe you're just like Simba. You're a king in hiding. You're royalty in hiding. Wow, that's powerful. When God spoke that to me, it was encouraging. I was like, wow, okay, yeah, Lord, I've, I've, I've been doing that because of believing the lies that the enemy has been bringing against me. So then there, there's Simba. He's walking through the forest. And so then Rafiki, Rafiki was the monkey, all right? He was the, the baboon-looking monkey that looks like he had a Crayola factory explode, and he was close to it, and he's just covered with different colors and stuff, right? And so Rafiki, um, he, he goes and he finds Simba. Well, as Simba is walking, he, he runs away from Nala, and he's walking through this dark forest. Rafiki, he goes and he, he finds him in this forest, and as Simba, he just keeps on walking. And Simba doesn't recognize who Rafiki is. And so Rafiki was actually in the service of Simba's father, Mufasa, the king, before he died. And he actually dedicated Simba. You know, he's the monkey that raised him when he was a cub and the circle of life and all those things. But in this, in this scene, though, Simba doesn't recognize who he is. And so Simba's walking there through the, um, he's walking through the forest and Rafiki's jumping in front of him from tree to tree to stay in front of him. And you can kind of tell through the body language and his facial expressions that Simba's getting annoyed at, Hey, who, who is this dude? And so Rafiki, he, uh, he asks him this question or he, he, he says, he makes this statement. Rafiki says this as Simba's walking through there, he says, going away will not answer the question. And Simba says, what question? And, and who are you anyways? And then Rafiki replies, he says, I know exactly who I am. The question is, who are you? And then Simba replies this. He says, I'm nobody. I'm just nobody. You see, he regurgitated the lies that have been spoken to him. He has now believed the lies that were told about him. The truth was, he, he was a king. He was a king in hiding. But he was believing these lies about himself. Now, then there's this next scene here that I love. And Rafiki, he takes Simba to this pool of water. And he says, I know, I know where your father is. I, I've seen him. And so he runs out of this thicket open this, into this open area where this pool of water is. And so Simba, he's excited because he misses his dad. He runs through the thicket and he, he runs this open area where this pool is. And then when he gets there, Rafiki says this. He says, do you see him? Talking about his father. 
And he tells him to look down into the water. And so Simba looks down into the water and he sees his face and he says, I, I don't see him. I don't, I don't see him. And Rafiki says this, he says, look closer. He lives in you. So he looks down again the second time and Simba looks down and when he looks down. He initially sees himself, but then the water ripples and then he sees the image of his father. And Rafiki says, he lives in you. Can I tell you right now, the enemy, he's been coming at you because you reflect the glory of God. You are a, re a reflection of the glory of God. You see, 1 John 4, 4 says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You see, one of the reasons why the enemy attacks you is because you remind him of your father. See, when you look at the mirror, you shouldn't just see yourself. You should see your heavenly father who is in you because you reflect his glory. You reflect his glory. And that's, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And let's look at this, right? It says, and we all who with unveiled faces, it says contemplate, but other translation says reflect. It says we all who with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory. So we are a reflection of the Lord's glory. And as we meditate more on the word, we begin to reflect what it says because it tells us who God is and it tells us who we are. So the more we meditate on the word, we begin to reflect that. But here's the thing is you, you bear the image and the glory of God. And so that's why the enemy hates you because you remind him of the one who cast him out of, out of heaven and who has, de who defeated him at the cross. And so he can't stand that. And so you remind him of your heavenly father. Well, then after, after Simba looks down and he sees his, his father in himself, then in the clouds up there, the clouds form into the shape of his father's face, Mufasa. And his father says some things. He says, you must take your place, Simba. You must remember who you are. Man, I feel like God's saying that to you right now. See, you must take your place. Come out of hiding. You must take your place. You must remember who you are. As king, I was most proud of one thing. That's what Mufasa says next. He says, as king, I was most proud of one thing, having you as my son. Well, then after hearing this from the clouds, Rafiki says, so I ask you again, who are you? And Simba confidently replies, I am Simba, son of Mufasa. Wow, that's powerful. You see, there was something about Simba when he heard the voice of the, his father speak to the deepest places of his heart, the, the most restless places of his heart. When, the, when he heard that, it solidified his identity, and he was like, he was now sure of who he was. So he had to hear his father's voice because before this, he couldn't step into the role to be the king that he was supposed to be. But now that he's heard the father's voice, and he knows, hey, this is who I am. I am Simba. I am son of Mufasa. Now that he's heard that, he now has a newfound, uh, this, this concreteness in his spirit, so to speak, in his mind, in his psyche. Uh, this is who I am. Now I can step into the battle. And as you know, he goes and he turns back and Nala had already turned away because she was discouraged because, you know, before Simba said, I can't be who you want me to be. And he ran off. And then so he goes and catches up with her and then he goes to the Pride Lands, takes it back over. And then he steps into the role as king of who he was supposed to be. And, you know, the rest of the story. But back to me. Remember that day when the enemy was coming at me and 
the Lord said, remember who you are. And he, he, he brought this scene. What was God saying to me? What is he saying to you? Well, he said, remember who you are. Well, who is that? Right? Well, remember who you are. God, who is that? He was saying, Wes, remember who you are. And that who that you are <laughs> is Galatians 3.26. It's Galatians 3.26, which says, so in Christ, all right, let's go there. Galatians 3.26 says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. Man, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So if you're a believer, he was saying, God, he was saying, Wes, remember, you are, you are a child of God. You are my child. And then Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15, all right? Ephesians 3, uh, 14 and 15, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Well, if you're a believer and you're still here, still here on earth, it, it, which that's talking to me and you because we're still here, it says we, it, we derive our name. We derive our name. What does that mean? Well, in the Greek, derives, that word derives mean it's anamadzo. And what that means, it means to entitle something or to assign a title. It's kind of like this. You, you know when there was a king or a queen and he took the sword and he would knight, he would take the sword and the, the person being knighted or sirred would kneel down in front of him. He would take the sword and he would touch each one of their, the, the sides of their shoulders. What is he doing? He was bestowing a title onto that person. Somebody of a higher rank, of a higher level, was bestowing somebody of a lower level a title and raising them up in rank, raising them up in their identity, and he was bestowing a title on them. That's that's kind of you see that kind of a, that analogy there. Well, let's read Galatians four seven now. It says, "So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are His child, God has made you also an heir." Okay, hold up. So he we derive our name from the Father. In other words, He has assigned a title to us. What does that mean? That means God has made us an heir. He has now given us, he has bestowed on us a new title as son, as daughter, as heir, right? As owner of the estate, we have all things now. So he has given us this title. He has bestowed honor on us, this great title. That's what he's done. He, that's, so now that's our identity. So we derive our identity, our name from the father, because when we accept Christ, we become one of his children. And if we're children, then we are heirs we have a new we have a new title we have a new identity so this is what god was saying he was saying wes you are you remember who you, you're you're letting him talk you out of who you really are and who you really are is a child of god you ha- i have given you a title of heir and i've given you all things you are beloved you are loved you are accepted in the beloved you were all these things that scripture says that i am so let's talk about image inferiority for a second you see, let's go back to Simba. Simba kept saying who the enemy said he was. He says, I just kept saying, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. You see, and Simba, instead of saying who the enemy said he was, he could have he could have stepped, he could have started, he could have been saying who he was born. He was born as royalty. He was born as a king. He was born to rule the pride lands. But you see, he began to agree and kept saying who the enemy said he was. And so this is what image inferiority does. It causes a child. When you begin to say what the enemy says about you and you begin to take that identity on, 
it causes a child of God to see, to you don't see and you don't embrace your true image. I'm gonna say that again. Image inferiority it it causes you to not see or embrace your true image. Remember, I said earlier, Satan has no authority over you, so all he can do is try to intimidate you and talk you out of who you already and who you really are. You see, an image inferiority, because if he gets you to see yourself as, as, as inferior, that you're nobody, that you're a nothing, then it cuts you off from your inheritance. Why? And this is something the Lord said, he spoke to me just here recently. So why, why does an image of inferiority cut you off from your inheritance? Because only a king can receive your receive a royal inheritance. That's what God said to me. He said, only a king can receive a royal inheritance. In other words, only royalty can receive royalty. So if you don't see yourself as royal, and if you don't see yourself as who God has made you in Christ, then you won't receive everything that belongs to you now legally through the blood of Jesus and through the, through the work of the cross. So last month, the Lord he, was, was one of the things, he, something else he spoke to me. He said, when you find out who you are, you will receive what's yours. I'm going to say that again. That's powerful. When you find out who you are, you will receive what's yours. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you an example from the Bible. So in, in Numbers, in, in back in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, the children of Israel, they were in slavery for 400 years. So they were being oppressed. They, you know, the, the Egyptians who owned them as slaves mistreated them, you know, beat them and talked down to them. Well, that that's like the enemy. He was oppressing them and he began to shape how they saw themselves and he convinced them. He intimidated them. And then when they got out of, when God brought them out of Egypt, then in Numbers, uh, I think it's number uh, chapter 12 or tw- uh, 13, God says, I've given you this promised land. But then when they went in to, to, to look at and, and, and spy out the, the, the land, the promised land, they saw the giants. And then they said, we are grasshoppers in our own eyes. Where do you think that image came from? It came from the enemy telling them that they were nobodies and intimidating them. And so it wasn't the giants that kept them out because God says, I've already given you the promised land. And just do what I say, and you're you're gonna you're gonna take it over. But it was so it wasn't the giants that kept them out; it was how they saw themselves that kept them out of the promised land, right? And so this is what the enemy does: the enemy has convinced and intimidated many of God's children that they are slaves, that they're nobodies, that they're failures instead of royalty, instead of who God has made them. And so if you see yourself as a nobody. Then, then how you see yourselves will keep you out of the promises of God. Remember, I said, remember when I said earlier that the enemy, Satan, he has no authority over you, and all he can do is he can intimidate you with, he can intimidate you and try to talk you out of who you really are, right? He doesn't have any authority. He whittles away at our image to get us to agree with his false claims. So here's the thing: don't agree. No matter what your feelings say, you go on the Word of God. And just like that morning, I had to go get in the word and say, okay, Lord, this is who you say I am. So why does Satan do this? Why does he try to whittle away at our our image? Because it's hard to receive from God when we have the wrong image of ourselves. Galatians 4.1, it says, an heir is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. All right. So I'm going to give you, give you an example, right? Let's say, um, there's a 14-year-old. Because like, let's say there's an inheritance. Let's say there's a $10 million inheritance and there's a 14-year-old. And this inheritance has been legally given to that 14-year-old. But they're underage, so even though they own the whole estate, right, then they're no different than a poor person if they go to Walmart. 
even though they have the whole estate, they can't access it because they're underage. But let's say when they get 18 and it's the legal age and now they can legally access that, Let's say, though, they're 18 and it's they own the whole estate, but in their mind they still think they're 14, then they're not going to go access what's theirs. So even though they own the whole estate, if they have underage thinking and thinking that there's somebody less than who they really are, then they are no different than a poor person, even though they have this $10 million estate. So that's the same thing. This is why Satan comes at us to, to, to whittle away at our image and to tell us who, we, who, 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 who he thinks we are instead of us agreeing with who God says we are. He, if, if he can get us to agree with who he says we are, then we begin to have an inferiority image of ourselves, and then we won't go and receive the, the estate, the inheritance, the promises of God that God has given us. Ephesians 1.3 says that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So God has given us the entire estate. He has given it to us. But if we are in our minds underage thinking that I'm nobody's and, and, and I actually have all these things, then I won't receive what is mine. And this is why, because Satan has no power over you, all he can do is trick you and talk you out of who you really are. Because once you believe that, you won't go and receive everything that legally belongs to you through the cross and through the blood of Jesus. Now let's go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. All right, It says, so you are no longer a slave. All right, let's go there. You are no longer a slave. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. All right, it says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Remember, he has given you all things. He has, he has made you an heir. He has bestowed this title on you. This is who you are. This is what God was saying to me. Wes, remember who you are in Christ, not who you're trying to be. You're not trying to be this. Remember this. We're not trying to be this. This is who we are. I just got to meditate on it and let my heart be convinced of what happened when I got saved, right? And you say, see, here's the thing. You were, you were born royal, and you say royal. Really, Wes? Like, we're royal? Yes, you are, and here's, here's the reason why. Revelations chapter 1, verse five, verses 5 and 6 says, To him who loved us, talking about Jesus, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, has made us kings and priests to serve his God and Father. Think about that. Jesus has made us kings and priests. Kings are royal. So that means we are royalty. We are kings and queens of God. We are sons and daughters of God. This is who we really are, right? This is who we really are. Ephesians 2.6 says, I'll take it one step further. Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, in the heavenly realms in Christ. Can I give you a little hint here? You know, if you ever have a movie, you have the main thing, the main throne where the, the king sits, and then you'll have like a, a, a throne that sits right next to it on both sides where maybe his queen and his son sits. Well, guess what? The scripture says that Christ, that, that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if any man be in Christ, if any man or woman, whoever has accepted Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So if you're in Christ, then where he is seated, and that's what Ephesians 2, 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. So guess what? Only royalty sits on the throne. Think about that for a second. So this is why when I pray, I picture myself seated on the throne and I'm declaring what God says over my situation so that my situation now has to react 
to what what God has said in my mouth. I'm speaking God's word to my situation with the authority God has given me. And if he has placed me up there in heavenly places on the throne, then now I can speak. So when I pray, I pray with the mindset of I'm praying not to heaven, but from heaven. And this is why Jesus in Matthew 6.10 says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, he saw himself as royalty, as, as, as God's son. Well, so then he spoke in his mindset, I believe he probably was speaking from heaven to earth and from that place of authority. That's why he saw his prayers work, because he understood who he was and the authority that he had. Well, we have to see ourselves as who God says we are and the authority that we have. So I want to kind of wrap this thing up here. So I want you to think about this. There came a time when Simba had to agree with who his father said he was. You see, after hearing his father's voice, he could have continued to agree with who Scar, the enemy, said he was. I'm a nobody. I'm not a king. And he could have agreed with that and then lived the rest of his life as a nobody. But there came a time when Simba had to agree with who his father said he was. And so then Rafiki asked him, he said, so I ask you again, who are you? And he said, I, because I've heard my father's voice speaking to the deepest parts of my heart. Now I know who I am. My identity is sure. I am Simba, son of Mufasa. See, at some point, you're going to have to agree with who your father says you are, who your heavenly father says you are. This is why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says, we put on the new self. Well, what does that mean? It tells us to put on the new self. It means you say what God says about you. That means you say who you are according to what God says, right? God says you are this, then you start saying it. I am royalty, all right? I am a king. I'm a priest. Jesus himself has made me a king and a priest. He loves me, has washed me in his blood, and he has made me a king and a priest. Putting on your new self means that, okay, my spirit was reborn, but my mind has to catch up to everything that happened when I accepted Christ. See, when you get saved, your spirit's regenerated, but your mind stays the same. So your mind has to catch up to everything that has just happened. And so that's what we have to do. Put on the new, put on the new self. We have to say, okay, God, you say that this is I am I'm accepted in the beloved there in Ephesians chapter one. You say that I'm, you know, that I'm a new, I'm a new person in Christ, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty one. See, so you start putting this on, you have to start agreeing with who God says you are. I'm gonna give you this story to close out. So there is this there was this painter, and he was sitting on one side of the uh, the street, and he had his canvas here, and he had his paints, and he was painting. And on the other side of the road, there was a beggar, and he had these ratty clothes. He was dirty. He was smelly, and he, he just, you know, people were avoiding him and stuff. And the painter, he would look over across the street, and he would look at the at the beggar, and he would paint. And then he'd look over there and he'd paint some more and he'd look over there and he'd paint some more. Well, the beggar caught on to what he was doing. Well, he shouts across the street, hey, what are you doing? And the painter says, I'm painting you. I actually just finished. Do you want to come see it? And the beggar's like, really? He's like, yeah, come on, come see it. Well, the beggar comes over there. And he looks at the canvas, and on the canvas, he sees this man who is dressed with these expensive clothes, these nice shoes, this incredible suit, this tie. And he is, he's got this expensive briefcase, and he's walking stridently down the sidewalk with this confidence and this bravado and this, just this, this demeanor of success, the embodiment of success. 
And the beggar, he looks to the painter and he says, this is, this is me? He said, this is who you see? And the painter says this. He says, that's the, that's the you that I see. That's the you that I see. Man, that's powerful. Then right after that, the beggar says, well, then that's the me that I will be. And from then on, he went on to live a, a successful life. Can I tell you this? God, through his word, he has painted a picture of who you are in Christ right now. All these scriptures I've been mentioning, this is the painting. This is the portrait of who God says you are in Christ. Ignore who you see in the mirror. Who, do you, who does the word say you are? Because there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, basically, we are a reflection of God's word. In some translations, it says, as we behold, beholding as in a mirror. See, the word of God, as I begin to look in that, let that be your mirror. This, let that, when you look into that, that tells you who you are. And the more I look into the mirror of the word of God, then that tells me who God says I am right now. And as I meditate on the word, then I begin to reflect and look and be transformed into what the word says I am. So God, through his word, has painted a picture of who you are in Christ right now, this very second. But it's up to you to start saying, that's the me I will be. Lord, you say that I'm this. You say that I'm that. You say I can do this. You say I have that. Then that is true. And you start agreeing with that. Just like Simba, you start agreeing with who your father says, that you were loved, that he has lavished his love on you, that you should be called a child of God. That's who you are. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That everyone born of God overcomes the world. See, you start saying what God has said about you. Man, that's powerful. Man, that's, that's powerful. See, if you're a believer, then you were born royal. So this is what God was saying to me and what he's saying to you. You were born royal. Remember who you are. Thank you for listening to Power for Victorious Living. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the website at PowerForVictoriousLiving.com. And remember, the gospel has the power to help you live a victorious life.